You're listening to a DM podcast. Okay, g'day and welcome back to Behind the Podcast with Jules and Stocks. Today, Stocks, because I've got the COVID, went behind the podcast with Kate Montague, co-founder and managing director of AudioCraft. Stocks, tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, it was a good one. Actually, might be a better show without you, mate. I don't know. I'm just. I'm not. <laughs> nah, look, Kate. Kate's fantastic. I uh, couldn't have asked for a better guest to go solo with. She talks about the way they do this incredible sort of elevated audio, which is something that we look at in awe over here at DM. Some pretty cool experiences. A really interesting journey to how they got there. How her film background really informs, I guess, their process and how where their business has gone. Yeah, fascinating. Awesome. Well, usually this is where I'd throw over, but given you had the conversation and we're only going to be hearing your voice, sounds like maybe in the future as well, uh, why don't you take us over to Kate? All right. Kate, tell us about AudioCraft. So I'm Kate Montague and I'm the co-founder and managing director of AudioCraft and we're a podcast production company based here in Sydney and we kind of work on a lot of kind of crafted audio, like we kind of really like big narrative, sound-rich storytelling and we do a lot of stuff for people like Spotify and Audible uh, and we also do a lot of brand partnerships for people like Sydney Opera House, Ethics Centre, Red Bull, um, Afterpay and the like. So, yeah, that's kind of us in a nutshell. But do you want me to tell you a little bit more about our team and stuff? Yeah, or? love to know about the team and love to know about some of the things shows you've worked on that people might know. Yeah, okay, cool. So, um, well, first up, like the audio craft's kind of organised. We've got an in-house team who are like staff. There's six of us. We're based in Sydney and most of them are like senior producers and then there's myself and an ops manager. Um, But then we have the agency and that's like a pool of kind of freelancers who work exclusively with AudioCraft. And within that pool of like awesome individuals, we've got sound designers, composers, um, engineers, script writers, script editors, um, producers, EPs, the lot. And I guess... The way that we work is a client will come to us with a job and they'll be like, we want to make this thing. Can you help us develop it and realise it and make it sound amazing? And then we kind of put together the team for the project. So we're working quite collaboratively across all of our projects. But our producers are based Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, regional Victoria, and we we do a lot together remotely. So I guess like the thing that really defines AudioCraft producers and our sound is that we're all massive nerds for sound. Yes. So <laughs> so we care a lot about um, spending time, I guess, in really thinking about like how can we craft the best story and make the most compelling kind of thing to hook a listener even if it's just like a chat show or if it's like a big investigative documentary series we're always thinking about how can we spend time to make that story the kind of most compelling and most engaging thing to listen to but then also how can we build worlds with sound um how can we use sound design and music and create a sense of a world that a listener can kind of enter and luxuriate in for a while like you know we think a lot about that and the listener experience so yeah we're massive nerds for sound and we probably lean towards more like narrative audio so story storytelling based stuff that's where we kind of um sit most comfortably it really comes through in your work i mean it's not i'm not ashamed to say that 
you are the very high quality end compared to someone like ourselves um, and very jealous of the work you do. That's yeah. very nice yeah. to say, yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, we would love to be nerdier and we'd love to be able to elevate the way you guys do. We know our lane. It's not that. Um, you know, we'd love to be crafting um, and be more nuanced and composing and things like that. It, it, it sounds like an amazing space to work in. We're also slower producers. Like, we sure. kind of, like, spend time, I guess. And, yeah, like, I think um, everyone kind of, yeah, every, I think, you know, talent development and working in com- conversation podcasts, like, the industry is so diverse and exciting and all these different mediums. But I think, like, over the years, we've kind of seemed to have just keep attracting that kind of producer. And I think it comes from Jess Binneth and I who founded AudioCraft. And, like, that's our background. That was always our interest. And so I feel like that's sort of where AudioCraft has led, has been led from. In yeah. Sense. yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. I think quality is always going to be a great lane to take. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, how did you? And just come together and start the company. How did yeah. it all come? You know. So we, I kind of. Um, so my background's more kind of film and community development. Actually, that's kind of where I started. And then I had kids and derailed my career for that short while. And was looking for ways to really create and make stuff. And feeling super frustrated by not being able to get back into film. And I didn't have a crew, and I didn't have like all the gear. And it was it just seemed like so many barriers for me as a younger filmmaker to kind of make stuff. And then it was sort of like 2009, 2010, and like, you know, podcasting was taking off in a really big way. So I was like, oh, I could just like buy a recorder and then just start making documentaries for audio. And I joined All the Best at FBI Radio and was really lucky enough to be mentored by some pretty fantastic creative audio producers like Jesse Cox and Belinda Lopez and there was like Jordana Caputo and like an amazing group of people that were all really passionate about this new and emerging form of storytelling. So I kind of found my people, started making stuff and then met Jess. So she was also, I think at the time, working, she came from community radio, was working at ABC and we kind of met through all the best and and that was kind of how we connected. And then I think as for both of us and all of us at that time, we were kind of like, you would remember it as well. It was like a sense of something happening, but it was so undefined and so hard to navigate as a creative. Like, how do I get better? How do I how do I sound like that? Um, yes. You know, how do we get to the level of This American Life? Correct. Like, you know. Correct. And so, life. Yeah, yeah. So, we were kind of like, oh, there's, a, there's something happening here. There's an industry forming. There's opportunities for creatives, but there's nowhere to go and talk and nerd out and kind of get better at what we do and improve what we're doing and whatever and learn. So, that was when we started the festival. We were like, well, why don't we create like – I think initially we just wanted to throw a party, but we were like, no one will probably come to a party because they don't know who these randos are. So we were like, we'll make it legitimate and we'll make it a conference. (laughs) So we invited a whole lot of people to come and talk and we set up like a one-day event at 107 and 120 people came and we sold out tickets in like two weeks. 120 people? Yeah. Do you remember what the tickets cost? Oh, they were so low. They were like, what did we pay? I think they were like $40 tickets or something for a full day. Yeah, for a full day conference. But we sold out two months prior to the event. We hadn't even programmed the thing properly before and we were like, okay, it's a thing. And so from there, for the next five years, we ran an annual festival, which was the Audiocraft Festival. And that was all about 
bringing together creators to talk about the industry, to talk about the work we were doing, to learn from each other, um, for like, you know, people like Audible and Spotify to partner with us and come in and meet creators. And, you know, people got jobs. People came to Audiocraft one year and then the next year they'd be coming back and talking about their new podcast that they were making. Like it was really, Incredible. it was yeah. a really beautiful um kind of exciting timeline, I guess, to track the growth of the industry and the growth of creators and their skills. Um, so that was sort of how we started was a festival. But then obviously like events don't make money and we were doing all of it volunteer uh, voluntarily. Um, and it was starting to burn us out in a really big way. So we were like, we need to get smart about this and how are we going to make this sustainable? And we haven't had an, had an incredible board and still do. And they really helped us strategize, okay, well, how can we build a business model around the festival to support it? And and that's where the agency was born. And that was essentially like a talent rep agency for producers and freelancers. Um, and, you know, again, at that time, it was this new, very undefined, unregulated industry where freelancers were trying to navigate the, you know, increasing opportunities for work but had no idea how to quote or what do I charge or, like, how do I run a production, how do I work with a client, how do I, you know, how do I do this thing? So we were kind of, like, you know, making it up together along the way and we created the agency and we repped a whole lot of – we had 10 to start with and, like, we still have – Usually between 10 and 20 people work with us through the agency and then over time we were kind of able to build out our in-house team as well. So today we're a team of, I don't even know, maybe 20 almost collectively. Um, And, yeah, it kind of has grown from there. And, I mean, we finished the festival in 2020. We always said we'd do five um, and we did five, but it was huge. It was such a big undertaking and it's pretty hilarious because we're producers, not events managers yeah it's a different base so, isn't yeah, it? yeah we were like oh how did we end up doing this and we loved it and we loved the community aspect and miss that a lot like miss that bringing together it was felt like audio christmas every year you know like we had people who, sh- who really should have we should have done pins for the people who came every year so they had like little badges but we had those sort of you know real diehard fans of audio craft and it was such a lovely kind of social gathering of these creatives that were largely as you know like most podcasters are working alone Um, yes very much so so it can be super isolating and i think you know having those spaces and those like ways to come together and talk shop is really cool so we miss that part of it but the organizing and logistics of an event and partnerships was becoming like really competitive because you know all these other events were popping up yes that I don't miss as much. Mm. I feel like an event like that would have a great place today. I mean, obviously, yeah. not expecting you to go organise something like that. Yeah. But the main thing where everyone comes together, everyone comes together now is the awards, and then that's a little bit competitive. Yeah. And then they've got to pay to go in, and it's pay to enter, and there's a bit sort of uh, there's more transactions going on as opposed to something as you're saying community. I think like fun. the awards is so great because it's celebrating the work. Yes. And I'm always like every year I'm like yeah like there's amazing work that's happening in the Australian community, but it's really hard to kind of like keep track of it all or kind of take stock or even just like stop once a year and be like, wow, look at all the great shit we've done in a year, you know? Like you kind of get into the, you're either working in a silo on your own or you're working in an organisation that's so fast-paced that they never stop to be like, whoa, we've produced a huge volume of amazing work. So I think those events are really nice. But I think there is definitely a gap for that 
more skills development or professionalising of creatives. Um, and it would be really nice to see more people step into that space. But there's definitely like people who are running really great workshops and yes. meetups and, you know, it'd be cool to see that stuff flourish still. Definitely. It's really interesting. So, going into this, I'd always thought that we were going to talk a little bit about your, your, your film approach or your film history informing how you actually, the content you create, because it, it does, it is more layered and textured than someone coming from a radio background, say, as your approach to audio. But it's fascinating. I wasn't aware that you'd also it's almost taken a film approach to how you'd started because a festival is quite a film idea. Yeah, I guess and, it is. And then <laughs> becoming an agency is quite a TV film type of thing, agent talent. And yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's such a fascinating journey, though, to go from a – I mean, the brand born from a festival has become synonymous with being high-quality audio now and very successful. It's yeah. A, it's a really interesting yeah. journey. I mean, I think, I think the advantage of the podcast industry being so new and, like, there's not many rules and so the opportunity for people to kind of come in and try new things like that is sort of – it's like open open slather, right? Like yes. no one's kind of like done something right or wrong or like, or, you know, you can kind of just have a crack and, and do that. And I think that's always really excited me about this industry because there's a sense of like it's really hard work and sometimes, you know, you make mistakes, but you can kind of get in there and just like have a go. Absolutely. So I, I think that's sort of, you know, exciting in, in new, new industries like ours. Definitely. The structures and the barriers aren't there. Yeah. So, and the institutions to a lesser degree as well aren't there as well. So yeah. It's fascinating. Which has like its fallbacks as well. Mm, yeah. um, but, you know, I think for the large part, it's been great for us as a, as a small business that has kind of formed through that. Yeah. So, going from agency kind of business to becoming a production company, when did that happen? Was there any moment that sort of, was there a project? Was there a moment? Was there something that happened? I reckon it would be about six years ago we formed the agency and then the year after that, I think Jess left her job at ABC and she kind of came on and we were both working kind of 100%. I quit my uni degree that I was doing and we were kind of like, okay, let's do it. So, that would have been about four years ago now and then we got our first big kind of long form documentary series which was with audible and that was a co-pro with a production a film production company called ghost hunter and the film was called ghost hunter and we did an adaptation of this documentary film um into a podcast series which was really exciting and really challenging for you know all the right reasons but um i guess that was really where we were able to flex that kind of our documentary skills and our skills as creators and makers um, and work on something that was challenging and hard and big but sounded really like what we wanted our work to sound like. Um, and I feel like from that point was when we started to be able to, like, employ producers. So Selena Shannon was, like, on that pro- on that project and she's still with us as a senior producer today and, like, seeing her growth as a producer is incredible. But, like, you know, we were all kind of there in that first project. And I think that was Audible's first commission locally. Um, And then from there, I think we just started to always, we've always had a balance of work that we've done for the big kind of distributors like Audible, Spotify, and we do a lot of branded. We do a lot of brand partnerships as well. And that work just kept growing and growing and there was enough to support the growth of our team and like, you know, giving work to our freelancers. and, And from there we kind of have yeah developed but I think for us the main kind of pivot is probably like the focus towards what we want to do more of which is a create create originals like 
big, ambitious, yeah, like um, original series. So we've started developing ideas in house and pitching in our ideas to commissioners both here in Australia, and we're also looking at markets overseas as well, and where we could be pitching. And we're talking to people in the US and the UK as well. Um, and that's like really fun because yeah. we're sort of generating ideas as opposed to inheriting ideas and only working as a third party production partner. We're kind of thinking, okay, well, what what would really excite us and what kind of things do we want to make and and stand behind and also like play with and be creative and have fun with. So that's probably, you know, in the last year or even year or two, um, that's been kind of like a really exciting development for us as a team. Oh, that's the way to go. I mean, that's really exciting. Are you approaching that, I guess, in uh, going down the film path again in the way you're approaching that in terms of writing out concepts and... Yeah, um, I mean, the way we've been... Are looking for funding that way or do you have to put together a trailer or what's your approach? Well, we generally kind of like go into development on an idea for a period of time. We try to set like two months for development but it always goes over because we get so excitable um and we always just want to keep going with research and stuff like that so often it will extend out longer but it depends usually we try to put together two slates a year um and we try to like make those slates speak to the diversity of the interests and skills that we have so usually we'll have so the current slate which i'll be pitching next month we've got a fiction, which is like a rom-com, like oh. big eight-part, super fun. Um, we've got a true crime. We've got like a big kind of climate crime narrative that's quite sort of global in its reach. And then we've got a weekly format and then we've got – or two weekly formats and like a short form. Mm-hmm. So we'll go out and pitch that to everyone. Like we just do a massive kind of spray, I guess, and um, – and then kind of take it from there. But one thing we're also doing is, and so to answer your question, we'll take a pitch deck out mm. and if we can, we put an audio sample in there, make a teaser so people can hear voices or style or tone or like what's the creative direction we want. I think that's really good for people to be able to listen and feel like what are we trying to do. Um But one of the ideas that I was pitching last year, like no one got it uh, and I was like jumping through hoops trying to explain what this concept was and people would be like, oh, we need it it needs to be a bit more of that or a bit less of this and I felt like no one's getting this and I'm not pitching it right or we're not able to articulate this. So we've actually decided we're making that in-house. So that's our first. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 We were like, oh, bugger this. We can probably do this. Um, we're probably at a point where we can just resource it. It's not too expensive. We've got the time um, and it's like a short form audio fiction thing and it's like rom-commy. And Jess Hamilton, one of our senior producers, it's her idea. So she's leading the project and we've been working with like actors and we have an incredible sound designer, Adam Conley, who's doing Foley and all of this like crazy stuff for it. And What's been really fun there is, like, we can take that to market now, like, as a 10 episode and, like, see if anyone's interested in picking it up that way or could we fund a second season 
if we've kind of, you know, build an audience first. So we're kind of experimenting really. It's like a it's a new thing for us, which is exciting. But the biggest thing for us, I think, on that is this like having a creative project to work on as a team and the energy that that brings in. Like if you're always coming up with ideas and pitching, coming up with ideas and pitching and not actually making any of them, it can get really dispiriting. Yeah, it is, it's, like, it's, it's exhausting uh, and soul-destroying. It's so know? exhausting. <laughs> so I feel like I love that balance of having one really exciting creative project that we can make and um, – and play and fight and like learn from like what we've learned about, you know, Jess and Adam have been doing such cool stuff with like these binaural like earphones that have microphones in them and like space, like what we're doing with actors in a room. And, you know, there's so many mistakes and learnings and fun discoveries. So I guess you lose sight of that when you start running a business because it's all about like, you know, deals and like locking in work and signing contracts. I think um, it's exciting to reconnect with, like, just the fun of just making a thing. Um, Definitely. And, yeah, it's been really fun for us a team, as a team. It's super energising and fun and funny. Oh, my God, I laugh so much. Whenever I listen to it, it's like laugh out loud um, kind of content. It's great. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're yeah. selling it well. Yeah, no. I can't believe no one will get this concept then. I mean... You're very good at articulating your thoughts and ideas. Do you think that the idea was just, it's just outside the box of what people have already done and, and it's its you're sort of thinking ahead of where people are at? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like romance but it's like comedy, but I think there's nothing like it. So often when you're pitching, you're like, my podcast is this and it sounds like this and the audience would like this, whereas with this one... Um, it was harder to define that audience or define the genre, which is a good problem to have because you're creating something new. But it's a harder pitch when people are kind of looking for something to like anchor them, you know, anchor it on or. And so then you find you're in kind of a workshop session with a with a commissioner who's like, what if you did this? And you're like, okay, cool. But like, that's totally not the direction that we wanted to take it. And, you know, sometimes it's fine and we kind of will pitch with that flexibility of like how could this work for your audiences or like who are you trying to speak to? Could we mould this format to kind of like align with what you want? Like sometimes that's totally appropriate and fine. But for this one, we were hanging on a bit tighter. So I was like, oh, this is sort of telling me something. So why don't we just make it and then decide what we want it to sound like before we take it out to market? Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I'll the, let you know how it goes. Oh, <laughs> look, we'll be watching closely. I mean, we're doing something similar in the true crime space. Uh, yeah, okay. We had an opportunity. It came off the back of actually the podcast awards. Um, ran into someone, uh, Camille Bianchi, who just won the best true crime podcast for The Nurse. Yeah, cool. And ran into her up in the balcony and we just started chatting. And was like, what's next? What's going on? She's going, oh, I want to do this, but I don't want to do it with those guys. You know, I don't want to do it with a big media group. I want to do it with you. I'm like, okay, cool. So we looked at it and we started shopping it around, um, just put together a deck and just started having conversations and trying to put the business case together. And at a certain point we went, you know what? Let's just do it ourselves. Um, And that's the beauty of podcasting is that's, uh, I mean, that's not a six-figure exercise. Um, Whereas if you're looking at TV, film, 
uh, other forms of media, you're, you're in over your head. And, and to be able to do that, you've got to be so successful and such a risk. Yeah. Where, and, and, and it's exactly what you were saying, so empowering. Yeah. Know, we ch- she hopped on a plane, went did some interviews in the US, come ba- has come back. We had a call this morning. You know, we already got the first episode. It's fun, First draft. Right? And yeah, everyone's just alive. Yeah. And it just was like, you know what? Let's just do this ourselves. Yeah. And it is one of the great things about podcasting. And, well, obviously – we're both in a privileged position are, to yeah. have the team, have the flexibility where we're not living hand in mouth yeah. to the point where we can actually go, hey, let's just do Make this and let's, let's do it our way. But I think that's so liberating as well when you are thinking of – you're always having to think of who's going to be picking up a tab for it. It's like, you know what, we are. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. That's like a really privileged and lucky position that we'll find ourselves in at this stage because, you know, we've been doing it for six years or however long. Um, but I think it speaks to a gap in the industry, especially in the Australian industry around development and how do, like, how do creators get supported for the development and testing of ideas as opposed to just, like, getting commission for a product that's ready to go. And I think that playfulness or the creative process stuff is so undervalued in the um in the work that we do and i think you know where screen has like a screen australia body where they can get development funding like we just accessed screen australia money for a development of a project because we're partnering with a filmed production company a tv production company and like we've got this sum of money to just like create a pilot and workshop scripts and play with actors in a room and like you know all of this stuff whereas i think if we i think we need more of that like um i think we need some kind of like peak body or some kind of um some kind of government funding or private funding kind of pool where podcasters who are like outside of companies and might not be able to access that kind of development resource can yeah have have space to kind of develop ideas and experiment creatively. I think it would be cool to see more of that. Completely agree. Um, we work with Cameron James and Alexi Toliopoulos and they have done two seasons of the Finding Drago, Finding Desperado podcast mm-hmm. series with the ABC. ABC's going a different direction in terms of what they're doing with their audio, going much more down the sort of radio path, which makes sense for them. So not looking to renew the show. So the path they took was they had got a Screen Australia grant mm. and now the third season's a YouTube series. Yeah. Now these guys are also very much film buffs and video guys and have that background, but they wanted to do a podcast. Yeah. And it's just interesting that they've, it's kind of been lost as a podcast um, because there wasn't the ability for them to get the funding to go and do the next yeah. one of it. And um, we want to kind of keep creatives or attract creatives to come to audio. Yes. Because it's such a cool medium. That's um, right. So I feel like if there were more of those opportunities that, yeah, people might come over to audio and, and create a whole other kind of stream for their ideas and that'd be cool too. And it wouldn't need to be a huge pot of money. No, no, just yeah. some development funding. Absolutely. Would be really good. That's my call to action. I <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it. So what other trends have you seen within the podcast industry, I guess, over the last six years? Look, I think when we – so six years ago we started the agency and it was representing freelancers who were navigating – a very undefined industry and trying to work out like how to freelance and how to, you know, charge for the amazing skills that they have that, you know, not everyone knew how to value 
the difference that I see today is like over the six years, we've had agency producers that are now gone on to incredible jobs at like news organisations or um, like, you know, Sydney Morning Herald, The Guardian, ABC, Listener, um, all of these sort of big production companies that have podcast positions. So it's like a great time to be a podcaster, like to be a podcast producer. And those skills are highly sought and valued in a way that we just did not see six years ago. So I think that is really exciting, the fact that people can get a job. Um, Because I think, you know, the podcast industry was formed on the free labour and passion of a whole lot of independent creatives. Absolutely. Slogged guts making their passion project but you know people burn out and it's really hard to kind of keep perpetually being creative when you're not getting paid for the work or if if no one's you know valuing your work I actually read a really a heartbreaking post on Facebook this morning which was like from a from a podcaster I know really well and know their work and they're and they're really creative and really talented clever people and they've had a Patreon that, you know, they kind of confessed has probably paid for their hosting fee and maybe paying um, a few different actors or professionals to come in and help them. But they've never made profit. They've never paid for their own time. And after years, they're kind of at burnout and Mm. not kind of bouncing back and they're looking for a way to kind of get motivated to stay with their independent project. But it was seeing that there were jobs in the market that they could now apply for that was the motivating factor for them to keep going and not leave altogether. Oh, wonderful. And I was like, well, that says something. Like an industry needs to grow to support the workers and the creatives and there needs to be jobs there. There has to be a pathway for producers to kind of really keep developing their skills but also be valued in the way that they should because they're awesome and have really unique and and particular skills that are, like, you know, great. So I think that's the biggest – I think I always look at it from a creative perspective, I guess, because I myself come – like, I'm a a producer – so I think that's the biggest tr- uh, that's the biggest shift I've seen in the last six years of the industry, and I think that's a really good one. Yes, yes, you can make a living out of podcasting, folks. Yeah, I mean, we saw some guys a slightly different side. We saw some guys in Brisbane on uh, this week, and they've got a million followers on TikTok. They've got a very good podcast. But they're basically not making a living off it. One guy's teaching part time; the other guy's working out of. Uh, I guess a budget retail outlet in the in the center of the city, and we just sat down with them and said, "Guys, this can all change for you real quick. Yeah. If you, know, you don't have to sell your soul, you don't have to do anything like that. But this can really change for you very quickly. Here's a couple of examples of where you guys could be. Yeah. Um, but that also then they've got a producer as well, and so if they can start to generate income and make that viable, then all these people can suddenly suddenly you've got three people coming into mm. podcasting because mm. they have a fantastic platform and making great content and it just opens up this whole world and it's just changed so much yeah and i think there'll always be a place for like you know the artists that are kind of happy to just have a part-time job or a full-time job and their podcast is their side hustle their Mm. side gig or a passion project and i think there's always a place for that and those people you know should be celebrated in the same way but yeah i think in terms of long-term sustainability um, the industry needs to grow to support more because I know, like, Definitely. and you would know, like, 
when it comes to hiring um, a producer now, it's really competitive because there are a lot of other people who are vying for those same producers. So, Definitely. you know, like, and that's cool. That's exactly yeah. the way it should be. Um, I think it's really exciting. Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had someone we were talking to and we just were slow. Um, and we just were slow. It was around the start of the year and just weren't responsive enough and rolled down to see um, Alyssa down at Mamma Mia the other day and just um, have a chinwag and walked in and was like, oh, there you are. Oh, good. Well, you know. <laughs> That's cool, <laughs> You've done better. You've yeah. probably made a better move anyway. <laughs> but it's great to see. You yeah. Know, she's thrilled working on a couple of podcasts. Like, oh, fantastic. This is so good. Yeah. 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 I, like to see, I like to hear those stories. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's jump into a few podcasts you like. You've mentioned the great Ira Glass and the iconic This American Life. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what hooked me in the early days. Um, I, I have to confess, I haven't listened to it for years I now. Because yeah. I know I always wait for someone to recommend the best one because there's always like one that's really good, and I often like dip in then. But um, yeah, what am I listening to at the moment? I feel like my listening day is like really curated by where I am. So like, if I'm walking the dog or walking to work, I'm often listening to something more narrative or so it's like a jukebox a podcast kind jukebox. Of. Yeah. <laughs> so i'm listening to a really cool one actually at the moment by the new yorker from the new yorker called cover story um and it is sort of like a i guess it's true crimey um investigative series into like the psychedelics scene so like people who prescribe psychedelics as oh, like therapy wow. and of course like you know a whole lot of people hold power and in this case, a whole lot of psychedelics, so terrible things happen. But, um, yeah, it's a really interesting. It's really interesting. It's such an interesting world and really cool characters. And one of the hosts, Io Tillett-Wright, I'm a big fan of. So I'm enjoying that one. Um, but then at nighttime, I'm, I listen to podcasts to go to sleep. Um, okay. Which is a terrible habit. Um, but I always don't want to waste good podcasts on ones that I'm going to go to sleep. But so I'm like, true. I'm carefully curating sleepy podcasts. So I actually found this one. But the podcast is from Common Ground, which is a First Nations led production company who do amazing stuff. And this podcast is called Dreamy, and it's um, stories for sleep from First Nations writers and storytellers. And my favourite one is um, this episode called Billabang, and it's by a writer, and it's written and narrated by Jazz Money, who's a First Nations Wiradjuri woman writer. And it's so beautiful, but it's like 12 minutes and just like got me in a trance and I was like out. Okay. (laughs) Really beautiful, really sound immersive and yeah, I just love that one. So that's another one. And then like I have kids, so um, I've got like a tween and a teen and we did a drive down to visit my dad in Wagga a couple of weeks ago and we listened to this um, fiction series for tweens. Uh, called Here Lies, Here Lies Me by a producer called Hilary Frank, who I really like. Um, and it's like a, um, it's set in middle school and it's like really like tweens just been super awkward and having like awkward crushes on other people and getting their periods. And it was just like so fun to like be in a car with my two kids who were just like squirming and laughing the whole way along. And that was really fun. I love 
podcasts and sing in a car as well. So oh, yeah, especially when you <laughs> evokes um, emotions and reactions. I yeah, mean, that's the best. it was so nice. I loved looking over at my son who was like sitting next to me and who was like looking out the car window, but like smiling like along with the story. And I was like, oh, this is nice. This is like old-fashioned wireless time in a car. You know, listening to something totally, together. Yeah, so, yeah. That that that's kind of the they're the they're my favorite. That's things. some great recommendations. Um, just to go back to the sleep. Listen to podcasts before you go to sleep. Yeah. How do you do it? I mean, my podcasts just roll one to the other, to the other, to the other. So if I do that, I've done it a few times. It's like, oh, great. I'm something, then something aggressive pops up. I know. So you use the sleep timer. Sleep timer all the way. It usually takes like 10 minutes. (laughs) So yeah, I'll I'll read and then I'll sleep. Because there's some really good sort of sleep based. Yeah, Podcast. there are. You think, there are. Oh, I'm not going to renew my Calm subscription this year. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, I mean, there's a podcast for everything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Your journey is incredible. Um, and it's a really educational, I think, for a lot of people out there thinking how to get into podcasting. It can happen so many different ways. Um, do, you, do you have any advice for anyone who's thinking of becoming a producer in podcasting? I guess to like echo what we were talking about earlier around really knowing your value as a podcast producer in this market and that you can, you know, go and get a job and um, apply for jobs and like really put yourself on the line and I guess like apply and reach out and have those conversations with people and introduce yourselves to those organisations and make yourself known. But also I think there's like the technical skills that you can develop as a producer, which are essential. And like you only develop those through making a lot of stuff um, and just keeping on making stuff and experimenting and trying. But the other thing that I'd really encourage people is to think about like what do, like what really interests them, what lights you up, what excites you from a storytelling perspective, like what topic area, like, and, and what voice do you have and what perspective do you bring and kind of own that and, and own your own creativity, I guess. So what creative perspective do you bring to the table and tell people that, like, I want to know that when I'm meeting a perspective producer, I don't only want to know that they can edit and mix and interview. I want to know like what excites them about a type of storytelling or like what ideas might they have because so much of what we do is being creative um and how do you keep generating ideas so i think that's what i'd encourage producers to think about like well what what do they want to bring from a storytelling perspective to podcasting and yeah owning it and being proud of that i'll love that into my next interview i think that uh next time i'm interviewing a producer that's really good that's a really good point of view yeah and fabulous advice (laughs) Kate, thank you so much for coming in and just sharing all Thanks your wisdom me. and knowledge and your journey. Um, very inspirational. And love really. the work you're doing. Oh, thanks heaps. It's I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Sorry. No, and I'll let you speak. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been really nice. Thank you. Wonderful. Okay, thank cool. You. 